Hello and welcome to With Bowl and Spoon. My guests today are the farmers for Who Cooks For You Farm. You want to introduce yourselves? I'm Eros Lillstrom. I'm Chris Brittenberg. We are the farmers at Who Cooks For You Farm. We are a certified organic vegetable farm and we have uh, completed this past year our 14th season, so we're rolling into our 15th year, which is pretty exciting. We grow about 40 acres of vegetables and uh, do farmer's markets. We have um, a CSA, and predominantly that makes up our, our business model there. Uh, we do still do a little bit of wholesale to some old-time customers, some small family-owned restaurants in the area. We were established in 2009. We have two sons, uh, Cedar and Cyan, and we have a staff of about 12 full-time and seven part-time. We're That's a big staff. We're the Who Crew. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and I love your logo. Oh, <laughs> big nice. fans of owls. You mentioned uh, local restaurants here. Now, we are here way out in the rural area of Pennsylvania, and are you talking about like local to your farm or local like in Pittsburgh? Local in Pittsburgh. We okay. have sold it to a few places out here that do buy, do buy local food, um, but at currently we're not doing that. Since 2020, it really scaled down to just our, our main, main buyers and family-owned restaurants in Pittsburgh. I want to talk about how you guys got started. You're first-generation farmers, so yeah. I love that. And so what made you get involved in farming? Hmm. Well, independently, uh, I started farming when I was 18 and out in California, Northern California, uh, a best friend of mine. I had two great friends at the school, and both of them were from organic vegetable farms. And I got to work on them and just by volunteering in the beginning, and I loved it. And I then did my first two years when I was 18. And that's where I started, got my, my feet wet, and loved the life of the family farm and loved um, the family farms that I visited being on those farms. And I wanted that life for myself as an adult and to have a family with on a farm. I wanted to raise children on a farm. And how about you, hon? Growing up, I didn't do any sort of growing of anything, really. Where'd you grow up? Uh, Eastern Pennsylvania, Bethlehem. And so I grew up in suburbia. You know, always heard the stories of our, our, grand, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, like potato growers, big farmers. And, but they all got out of that. Um, and so there was really no sort of green thumb in my family. You know, I just, I had jobs. I went to school, went to college, had jobs, did all sorts of different things. And just really liked being outside a lot. Really liked nature. Um, spent a lot of time sort of studying, you know, birds or wildflowers, all that stuff. And then realized I was kind of stuck because my love for that stuff was so strong that I couldn't really justify sitting inside doing something. I tried it, it didn't really work. And uh, uh, just realized I was either gonna teach people about nature or I was gonna grow people good food. And that's kind of what happened. I, was, I just thought I would give that a shot. And my first farm was, uh, the first farm that I worked on was in uh, Kutztown, Pennsylvania. Um, John and Amy Good's farm, back then it was Quiet Creek Farm. And so they were a certified organic CSA farm, and yeah, did that, and that was 
a huge eye-opener for me. It was really fun. It was physically demanding. I really liked that. I loved being outside in the sun and stuff, and I just loved the access to the food. You know, just certain things really blew me away, like strawberry season. For the farmer, strawberry season is very different from the consumer because the farmer and the staff get basically unlimited access to those things, and I really enjoyed that <laughs> a lot, to eat as many strawberries as you possibly could, you know? Or watermelon, there's a cracked watermelon. Well, what do you do with that? Well, you don't take it to market and give it to anybody. You take that home, you know. So, but really, really enjoyed my first experience there. And, and then from there, Eros and I, shortly thereafter, I was 28 when I started farming. Eros and I met at the PASA conference. I was going to guess you guys met at a farming conference. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for you. You got it. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And we uh, got to know each other, and she said, I have a huge farm back in western Pennsylvania. And I said, really? <laughs> Let's go check that so, out. Wait, what was your degree in? Uh, it was in biology, general biology with a focus on um, ecology. Okay, so kind of relevant. And what was your degree in? I have a fine art degree. Okay. Yeah. Me too. Okay. And Brett too. Okay. Yeah, it was for me, like, just talking about, like, the history of, like, coming into farming and deciding oh this is going to be how I want to make a living is that fine art wasn't I was making art that was not at all sellable it was all um, ephemeral and not sellable it was installation art and I knew I needed to make a living that was that I wanted to make an impact and yet I love the idea of things being ephemeral and farming is all ephemeral and just the impact on the work that I was doing was just trying to show nature to people and have them embrace it, the beauty of it and its importance. And that's what farming is. And I was studying with several herbalists just as my transition with studying art was also studying with herbalists. And with that mixture, it just made sense. Just like that spirit that you look, that you're taught when you're taught herbalism, different than farming, but you know, there's definitely spiritual farming as well, but just that element of learning the earth spirit when you're learning herbs is more part of your lessons. And when it comes to farming, it was, it, it felt like that was a great segue from art, that that art would go into people that, okay, you can grow the food and it goes into them and they will be nourished. And so it's just a, it's a way more physical thing, but it, it made sense to me. The idea of nourishing people and passing your art on is one aspect which is amazing but also i feel like the creative process is solving puzzles and, yeah. and that creative problem yeah. solving and that's what you have a lot of when you're growing stuff and, oh, and when you're totally. coordinating <laughs> the schedules and all of that so i see how that fits together really well mm, with yeah. everything so then you guys met at the pasta conference and you had already bought a farm no so we started farming on the farm that i grew up on so we oh okay we, we're just i mean we're looking out the window right now of the farm that we're on and just up the hill that we see that ridge over there is where I grew up and that's where we started our farm and okay so we started just with growing on one acre but the farm I grew up in is 280 acres but very little of it is tillable it's not ideal ground for vegetable farming but we were there for a good how many years 
seven seven years and then we've been here for the remainder that was our our pack shed like our facilities that is where we began is are all still there but we transitioned here and just last year built something here so it's it's just a mile okay. up the road so we've been able to stay at both properties and still work on both um, we have a couple of hoop houses up there yeah, so it was just, that farm is, was a family farm in the sense of like my, my parents were back to the Lander Hippie folks and so we grew our own food and we had animals and it was just a sustainable for our family. It wasn't any, there was no production whatsoever. Okay, so that explains it. Yeah, yeah. and that, that also still, <clears throat> it's still, you know, for us, going, getting into the vegetables, you know, her father who had sheep there, so all he had, he was really kind of hands off but just had some sheep. And uh, so getting started with vegetables, there was basically, there was zero infrastructure. You know, that's why we always say, you know, it's first generation farm, vegetable farm, you know, because there wasn't like water lines dug. There was no ground that was tilled, you know, there was and no, no tractor. Yeah, no business nothing, in production. Nothing, yeah. nothing at all. But you guys had that back to the earth sort of ideal in your head already yeah. from each of your growing up. Or just like finding that in ourselves to really more so like have the lifestyle of a farmer is really something that I think someone needs to grow into and determine before they even start farming. Like this, this is the life you want to live. You want to be working out in nature a lot or at least organizing to get people food. You know, I think that the production side is definitely different than say growing up on the farm. It's a very different life. Yeah. And we, and we jumped into it. I mean, in a really weird way. I mean, it wasn't like we were like business people. Exactly. Like our first, like we weren't like, here's our business plan. It was like, okay, so let's buy some radish seed and let's have this area be for tomatoes and we'll mulch them and we'll put steaks in and they'll look so pretty, you know, and then we're going to have some tomatoes then we're going to sell them at the farmer's market and everybody's going to buy everything. And it just... It, so this was your first business plan? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we that, really it, did. It was that basic. <laughs> it was, we, it was 100% say, that basic. Yeah, to say that we just, you know, I think for many of our beginning years, we flew by the side by the fiver how do you what's that line by the flew by the seat your pants exactly yeah so that was basically what we were doing i mean it was there was not much order in organization other than like us chatting and oh yeah let's do this oh that's we great. planned let's do and that. organized but without experience With, you know without with, without out, now looking at how to manage money and anticipate costs and dealing with tax like all those things and then incorporating you know your plan looking down the line you know I've been to so many classes where they're talking to beginning farmers and they're saying, these are the things you got to be doing. You got to be looking down the line four five, six years. What, what are your rotations? That is so far over your head until you start to get really seasoned, you know, and you can really feel, you can feel that flow. You're not, it's not just a heady thing anymore. You know, it's, it's like you're, as the, the longer you do this thing, you just get more seasoned. You, you really feel the transition and when things need to be happening. Yeah, and it was, you know, I think, well, you know, we were thinking the summer before was like, oh, let's think about how we can get funding. And because, like, we didn't, neither of us had much money to speak of and cash on hand. And we applied for a 0% interest card, credit cards. Mm. And we got $12,000. Luckily, years in advance, my sister told me to get a credit card. So that was like, smart because well, I did some credit I did have some credit mm-hmm. history so I had zero. you know and Chris had zero but had you zero. were able to get like 3,000 um so together you know we got a little nest egg of $12,000 a 
of zero percent interest credit cards and that was how we started the farm and we think either both of us i think chris had four grand in cash and i had and i like had a two. truck and yet you bought the truck you didn't yeah. have that <laughs> no i bought i bought the truck yeah you bought the truck and then so you got the girl and the farm and the <laughs> truck, truck. Yeah. and the dog yeah. <laughs> and chris had two dogs and and so yeah it was you know it was just very basic we were living you know out of my dad's house for the very beginning and then you know, we were living out of what we called like just the um, spring house, mm. and um, it was just a basically an empty pole barn that was covering the spring, so the sheep wouldn't get into the spring area. And turned it, it into a house. And we put electricity in it, and we brought water down to it. We didn't have water for the first year of our farming. We carried water. So it was very primitive beginning. You carried water to the crops or for your We carried living? water to our housing and Green to the house. crops. We had gravity flow situation. But the first year the we were first carrying year, water to the greenhouse. To the greenhouse. We were carrying water to the greenhouse. And we didn't have irrigation until the beginning, like mid-season that year. It was all very fly by the year. Oh, yeah, this. Oh, yeah, that. The things you don't think about. That Very unplanned, but a lot of passion. <laughs> That's great. So... Yeah. What is a pole house? A pole barn is pole just barn. a simple, like, mm. it's not usually, like, doesn't have a foundation usually, um, but it can. But there, it's just a simple structure with basically nothing inside of it. It's just not an insulated. open cavity. You know. Okay. It's kind and of you just made like that floor. into a house. Yeah, we yeah. just insulated it, put in a nice floor, you know, all that stuff. We hooked up to the natural gas and we got just a, you know, a kitchen oven and we hooked up water and a gray water system and well, our first one of our first dates was building a toilet so we like continued to use Your the first compost. Date? yeah it was a it was a hot date yeah, <laughs> and it was like a date, composting we ate liver <laughs> yeah our first day we did eat liver we made a composting toilet <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know that when you're so passionate about oh. living simply and you're young and you fall in love really quick. It's like, wow, that's cool. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> You're fireballs. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you meet at Pasa and your big pickup line was, I got land. So well, I think that, that, well, Chris really, I think that Chris's like was, had intentions that I didn't realize that he told his friend about. He's like, well, I'm going to find a wife at the company this weekend. This weekend. Right, that's easy, right? <laughs> And I was definitely not intending to do any of that I, at all. But I fell in love. But she was single. Yeah, I was single. And I was like, this guy's beautiful. What Aww. a creative, sweet, Shucks. sweetheart. And we hit it off right away. <laughs> you know, things it was good. went quickly. So then you ate liver. You made a composting toilet. And then... You got married and had babies. Well, we no, well, we 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 did the composting toilet, and uh, Chris was farming in Eastern PA at that time. I was doing a landscaping sort of intentional gardening space, where like an educational kitchen area out here where I live. And I was then that summer studying with Rosemary Gladstar in Vermont, and I was like, "Well, what? I need to do this internship because Chris was like, we should farm,' and I'm like, I agree." I need to do this. I have to follow through with this plan that was like ending in the fall. In the meantime, we had like our neighbor tilling ground up in the back 40 where we had open pasture. And that summer that we met in February, we tilled ground and put in a cover crop for the fields that we intended to grow in the next season. 
Um, so we, we had a beautiful buckwheat cover crop that we tilled under and then put in a winter cover crop. That was 2008 when we met and then 2009 we had our first production year. Yeah. And yeah, wow. it was, it was, it was bada boom, bada bang. There was, I wasn't worried. Like it wasn't a scary thing just because I had been doing it for two years or I had a lot of experience with the growing stuff. But again, you know, it wasn't a scary thing because we were very comfortable growing vegetables and sort of getting out there and working from morning until night and having that not be something that you were worried about. You know, we didn't have kids. We like, you know, her dad was here, but we didn't have any other family really nearby. So it was just, you know, 100% focused and we just went for it. Yeah, just seeding this stuff, seeding that stuff. You know, we didn't start with anything, no tractors. Um, we had somebody turning ground over for us. And so we were trying to do everything by hand without petroleum, okay? And that, that quickly became um, not very feasible. You know, we were out there just really resorting to using all manual labor, you know, just whatever strength you can muster. And it just, one of our neighbors came over one day and uh, on a four-wheeler and we were taking up straw bales up the hill. It's all, it's on a hill. On a wagon. On, on, a, hand- on a hand wagon. So she's pulling it and I'm pushing it <clears throat> and it's hard. And uh, she up comes over. Like, yeah, uphill. She goes. She goes. What are you doing? I was like, we're just getting these up there. She's like, throw those things on the back and boom, 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 and we're like, wow, <laughs> you know. And it's not like we were just so focused on our intention, which was to try to not use much petroleum, but that quickly went away to more prioritize feeding more and more and more people with the same quality produce and that required petroleum yeah and we also i mean that that first we did not have the money to invest in anything but our first year we were able to make five thousand dollars and we were able to get i don't know if we got a loan on the tractor or a family member helped us get a loan i think that's how it happened and we got a tractor our first year so it was like okay we need this tractor that became the reality and that was yeah our first mm-hmm. tool um, was a tractor and and a rototiller, very basic mm-hmm. equipment to begin with. You know we don't use a rototiller on the farm anymore, um, but we um, that's what we started with the basics, very basic. Yeah, you were establishing the land. Yeah, just one step yeah. at a time, baby yeah. steps. So what did you grow the first year? I'm guessing radishes and tomatoes. And then where did you sell it? We had two markets in Pittsburgh. We sold it in the north side and we sold East Liberty. And we just did those two markets our first year. Two of the year. primo markets yeah. Yeah, at, at that the time. time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they were great. Somehow we slipped in there. I think Blackberry Meadows had done the year before and dropped out of East Liberty. And yeah. we just happened to apply at that point. We're like, well, come right in. Oh, yeah, and we, we took their, like, their organic spot. <laughs> that yeah. was like they were there organic vendor there before and we grew a little bit of everything you know broccoli we tried we were so excited oh my gosh (laughs) but it was everything that we possibly could you know sugar snap peas and always those sometimes depending you know um how the land is managed before you till it um this was fertilized for 20 years with with sheep manure and fallow so we when we turned that over and kind of got the biology activated i mean the yields were insane some of those, some of those yields, I, I I still remember, you know, the sugar snap peas and stuff. Yeah, so many. Right away, I mean, you're you're introduced to just you know the hard life and just the consequences of trying to farm, and because our first two years we didn't produce a single tomato, it was the first two years that we saw late blight in early July, 
in Pennsylvania. And it was like, so it's still kind of around, it can still do that now. But back then, never even heard of, never. And so, so and it was a whole entire crop first, first two, first years, two years, which is like, I'm here to say we made five grand. I'm thinking, why was that? Well, it's because we didn't have a single market or a single tomato to take the market, not one. And I mean, that's our greatest, you know, uh, money generator for sure. Yeah. And um, you guys are known for your tomatoes. tomatoes that's what I'm, just, yeah. I'm sitting here shocked. Because yeah. Because it was, it was definitely was the, the crop our first crop. two years. And we had that, no idea what it was, that, you know, I mean, we looked it up, but it, still, we're just like. We never saw that back on the other farms, you know. What the heck and that's is going the, on here? the same thing that was like caused the tomato the tomato famine. So it was like, oh my gosh, wow, look at that, look at that. This is the beginning of our farming life, and this is horrible. But we continued in the second year. Um, same thing. Same thing. Yeah, we saw it right away, and we're like, well, we have to just take them all out. We just pulled them all out. Oh, so yeah. you so you good. have to pull them out. I mean, it's it just hard. like you don't want it to be there. You don't want the disease to continue. I think it really made us upset. Oh, yeah, it was very emotional. It was an <laughs> extremely <laughs> emotional time. <laughs> putting it very mildly, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did you come up with the name? Who Cooks Green Farm? We were chatting in the car about a name. We were on a drive to Pittsburgh, I believe, and we were talking about having a bird in the title because Chris is a birder. And he was teaching me all this stuff. I didn't really know. I mean, I knew some, but I didn't know their names and the calls that went along with them. So he was in the midst of, we were in the thralls of learning. I was learning all the calls and we were talking through the calls and like, let's not necessarily have a name in the title, but let's have a call in the title. And so they're associated, you know, with yeah, like a phrase or something. Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So we were going through these like, Oh, how about drink your tea? I was like, Oh no. Okay. How about what's this? And like, how about who, who cooks for you? And we're like, Oh my God, that's great. <laughs> and then a lot of people ask us, Hey, do you cook for me? And we're like, we don't cook for you. You cook for <laughs> yourself. It's just a good question to ask yourself. Who cooks for you? <laughs> so that was, yeah, we have them in the Valley. Um, they are very present. So it's nice to hear the mm -hmm. name and, it's also great to see like the young children be able to see the owl and make the recognition. It's just a nice little. Yeah, it's nice. It's beautiful. So you guys aren't doing winter market this year. We did three winter markets. We're about yeah, to do we'll one do. more in January and then we're going to call it. That's great. We would love to be able to do more of a winter market, but we also love to recharge a bit. You need yeah, that. It's really do. Yeah. Um, and then there's not a great space for it. I mean, you know, if the weather turns, it is, you're just standing out there and it's rough. Well, and the vegetables, the, predominantly the main issue is that the vegetables are frozen as we're selling them. And that doesn't feel great. It feels really bad to sell someone a head of lettuce that should not be frozen. It's freezing on the stand and you're just like, take it quick. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's, no. It, and and it's just as a vendor, it's, it's just hard to spend all the time and, to go there and then you're like oh great we harvested all this stuff that's really primo stuff at that time of year you should be able to sell out but then it's so cold people don't come because it's very uncomfortable to shop and then the idea of not selling all the stuff and being frozen and the free and the stuff freezing so eventually i think pittsburgh will hopefully have an indoor market that would I, be ideal the public market was really awesome yeah yeah down on the strip yeah, it was too big of a space mm -hmm. to start. That big was just bonkers. Like, mm -hmm. It was hard to maintain. That makes sense. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah, hopefully someday. Mm -hmm. I mean, the city has lots of 
properties that we have to use fully. So kind of prioritize it. But I, I believe in Catherine. Catherine Vargas, the director I do as well. of I for Pittsburgh, yeah. Yeah, I think she, she could do great things. She can make stuff happen. It seems to happen under her watch, so we'll yeah. see. Keep, keep eyes peeled there. I wanted to talk a little bit about the urban, rural farming and the differences between them. I mean, obviously you needed land to be able to grow what you wanted. So I think what I'm trying to figure out is how does urban farming solve food insecurity because they're not going to grow enough food to feed everybody but does urban farming help you guys in the work that you do bringing food into the city my theory is that people get exposed to different kinds of vegetables they get exposed to different concepts through urban agriculture and that hopefully that's helping and and reflecting in Hmm. your appeal to urban dwellers i think that's I've, I've never heard anyone say that, and I think that's smart. I think it's all so much about education, people getting exposed to vegetables. So many people that come to the market for the first time, it's so beautiful to see their reaction. They're, oh my gosh, wow, you grow all this? You know, it's like, yeah, it's so exciting to see someone, you know, have some exposure and want more. And so they, oh, I've heard about the market, sounds great. And so they come, and it's so satisfying. So I feel like, yeah, that that's a great segue i don't think that urban agriculture could feed the people in an urban area it's definitely not enough room um, unless we really really worked on cleaning up city soil and using every inch that we have but also if we turned around our farm and we just grew food let's say all the food that we grew went to just feed little itty bitty new bethlehem over here i i mean i doubt we could even supply them with everything so do you know offhand what the population is of New Bethlehem? It's like under a thousand people. But I think your 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 point Families, is is, is, or no, it's people, is good. People. You know, I think that getting good food and interesting food and different food, really fresh food, in the hands of people is just it's an experience that they're not going to forget. You know, and when you when you get that side of it, and then you go back to the other side of maybe shopping at at grocery stores and stuff, I think it really feels like you're kind of getting cut short. Um, especially when you're paying like the same amount of money, you know, I wouldn't say by any means that we're charging so much more, if any more for a lot of our things, you know, this year after, after a number of years, we raised our prices a little bit, but, and we want it to be that way. We don't want to continue to price people out. You know, I want to see, we want to see all sorts of people shopping at our stand. We'd really like to see people out here be a little more interested, but I'm not, so sure that there's so many folks that are, you know, cooking isn't super popular. It takes a lot of time. It's kind of a pain in the butt. And I think that uh, depending on your home situation, you might not have the time, you know, or might not prioritize that time. Well, I think for, at least to speak on local, our, our local, where we are in New Bethlehem, an hour and a half north of Pittsburgh, we, uh, we were just at a dinner party last night celebrating the new year and you know we're talking about how a lot of the farms have shut down in the area and they're getting overgrown with weeds and the fields are not grazed by cattle or uh, they're not Not made into hay anymore yeah so but a lot of people that still live out here have a garden so our when we were trying to sell out here we were selling in the clarion farmers market and it was really good in spring. Business was amazing. I was so impressed by the by the amount of customers that came out. But then when it's 
prime time, everyone has their own garden. You don't see any, where is everyone? No one, like the markets were very vacant. There were just not the amount of people and they're out having fun and they're out working in the garden and um, stocking up their food. We do the most of the local clients that we get are people who want to buy bulk for their stocking up. And because say they're, they had a crop loss or they didn't get to plant this year. And so the, locally, we still live in an area that is, you know, people have farms or people have a big yard and they garden. Because um, a lot of people that are living here are from here. And that's how you, we grew up and that's what we do. You know, city mouse, country mouse kind of thing. Very different life, but we all need to eat. So as long as, you know, I think us coming to the city, I feel like, it's a blessing to be able to bring people really good food that's grown in fresh air and we're able to bring that to the city. It's, it's a great thing. You know, it's our, it's our urban center. It is where we need the population to sell to and we could sell to more and more people. And each year it's more and more people. It's so exciting. And that's our goal. We want to feed people and we want to feed all types of people. And at the market, we reach many, many, many people. It's so great. And, um, you know, we're trying to diversify our neighborhoods that we're delivering CSA. And if people approach us, they're interested in being a host and they can be a host site for receiving boxes for their neighborhood. Totally exciting. You know, we've grown by word of mouth. Our customers have helped us expand. And this year we're actually working on this winter to be having our own like snap readers so that we can just the ease of our customers. So if someone's receiving SNAP and paying with SNAP, then they don't have to go to another stand to cash out. They can just come to us. We can be more of an easier shopping experience for people that have a SNAP card. So we're trying to make it more and more accessible every year and more diversity of stops. And we tr really try and like watch with our prices too, that it's affordable. Like we like hearing that from people that, yeah, your, your food's affordable. That's like a great compliment because, you know, we don't want to be the organic farm. It's like, it's so expensive. We try and be more efficient in all of our moves on the farm so that we don't have to raise prices. It's important. That said, your prices are a little out of range for some people. Mm -hmm. you, you have to stay competitive and that's, you know, there's a fine line between survival and not surviving yeah. as a farmer. Mm -hmm. So I understand that how, not how do you set your prices? That's not the question I want to ask. No, setting prices and like what to charge for something, what makes sense. I mean, that's a great thing to talk about because, you know, usually you just, you're just jumping off of what everybody else is doing at first. If you're looking at your numbers well, then you can sort of justify maybe charging certain prices, but then you also have to understand the consequences of changing that price. If you want to make a certain amount of money on head lettuce, okay. And then just be prepared for the consequences. If it's, you know, a little more affordable than everybody else's at market, that word gets around quick and you're going to sell out all the time. But then you're going to think, well, I could throw a quarter on there and make a little more and be more competitive with everybody else. You know, we're told all the time, the conventional growers in there are charging more for something than, than you are. And, and it's like, okay, I mean, for me, that's okay. But like at this point, we're, we are at the point that we, I don't necessarily look at other farmers and say, oh, if they're doing that, then we should. Just not there anymore. You know, we're really, I feel like we're very content and I feel like we're very stable. And a lot of that comes from being able to actually see that you're making some money. Because we don't expect to make tons of money. We like to be able to live comfortably 
and to make some. And that since that's happening, it's like, okay, well then I'm happy with everything. We don't need to continue to jack everything up. You know, I mean, we all want to get paid well for our time, you know, but, um, but setting prices and figuring prices and not trying to price folks out. I mean, there's some people that definitely come and they say, ah, that's that bunch of kale is not big enough. But a lot of the things that they're not thinking about is that two months ago they were enormous. And right now you're at the tail end and you're picking these little baby leaves and there's 50 leaves in a bunch versus six. And the <laughs> six leaf bunch was way bigger than the 50 leaf bunch, you know, stuff like that. Figuring prices has, was always hard, was always challenging. And uh, you always catch flack for it. You know, no matter if you're, seems like you're very reasonable or, or not. No, that's, that's great that you bring up the seasonality of things. You have the hoop houses that extends the season, but also it's more labor because you can't depend on the rain to water your, your farm. That's also something that has to be considered. So tell me something exciting about what you've grown in the hoop houses and extended the season. Like how, how have the hoop houses helped you guys? Oh, well. Yeah, the hoop, the hoop houses are, 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 you know, they're, they're really valuable real estate. Obviously, there's a lot of investment that goes into the construction of it all. Um, but, and just to start with this, there is a sort of a, a weird, sour um, sort of flavor in everybody's mouth when they think of a hot house or a hoop house. Um, and that something's coming out of there, they think it's somehow artificial or hydroponic or something. But the reality is, is that you're growing these things in the ground. The biology in the ground has to be right so that the plant can grow. So it's living soil, okay? You know, we have two layers of plastic over steel arches, and that's it. So we're just able to control water. That's really what it allows us to do, is to keep leaves dry. And these are these two tunnels that you're looking at here are our latest tunnels. And, you know, we really went and invested in having like roll up sides that are automated and we have ventilation that is automated. We have five tunnels up on the ridge that you can sort of see through the tree line up there. Those are where we started and they have none of those bells and whistles. And that means that you're running out midday. Oh, it's too hot in there. We got to roll up the sides, even though it was super foggy and chilly in the morning. You know, it's 80 in there now, run. You know, we don't want to lose blossoms. We've come to a point where, okay, these are very, very big houses. The automation, yeah, has made the plants healthier. The size of them too, to be able to have one crop, okay, a 500 foot row of one crop versus 100 feet of one crop. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the hoop houses are, are 30 by 500 feet. And so a typical tunnel is 100 feet long, um, 30 feet wide. So there's, it's essentially five tunnels. So each row, each bed in there is basically one tunnel that we're, that we're used to growing in on the old farm. But the soil in the hoop houses, we cater to that soil so much in terms of the bacteria and the biology that's going into that, that soil there. We are constantly inoculating the soil with like, you know, these blends of, of bacteria and then trying to, you know, feed those bacteria slowly, you know, um, throughout the season. You know, whether it's we're putting fish through the drip or, or even foliar feeding, things like, you know, sugar, um, magnesium sulfates, all these trace minerals. And all that's doing is you're, you're spraying this plant and it engages the root system to bring in more 
that is down there. It, it, you know, it's not like you're just spraying on the leaves and just absorbs in the leaves and that's it. It's like it just stimulates the entire system. The vegetables that we pull out of the hoop houses in terms of nutrition, I think, are very elevated versus the stuff that we are bringing from the field because we just spend that much more time taking care of that dirt. It's really nice dirt. And you guys are certified organic. Yeah. So how did you make the decision to go certified organic? Because I know there's a lot of record keeping and process that needs to be done for that, and it's costly. Yeah. Well, we've been through all the stages. We've grown organically all along since we started. Um, and at first, certification wasn't something we were really worried about because we couldn't afford any level of more work. Um, and then we became certified naturally grown because we're like, well, it just didn't make sense for us to jump through hoops with selling direct to our consumer because we knew everyone we were selling to. We could talk to them about it. Um, and so certified naturally grown for like seven years, I think, on the old farm. And then when we came here, after a couple of years being here on this new property, we became certified organic. Because we were selling to more restaurants and doing some wholesale, we didn't weren't in touch necessarily directly with our customers anymore. We were, we were selling to the East End Food Co-op, so that meant a lot. You know that that certification means a lot to people. If they don't talk to you, they know okay, well that certification is true, and we believe that. And it it's also just helped us become better farmers from the record keeping. We've learned a lot from it. We continue to learn from it. It keeps us on our toes as to just knowing our checks and balances and be able to do recalls. Um, it's, it's been valuable and we believe in the certification because it's, we, we're joining the masses of people who really care on a business level um, about being certified, about being or about growing organically. So it's, we're just really elevating our business to that level of maturity, I think it's more. And it's a, a value that people see the symbol and they trust and I trust for myself when I'm shopping. And so it is contributing to the whole of the certification of our game. Yeah, it doesn't tell you everything, right? There are, there are some pretty big elephants in the room there, you know, with certified organic, but it does tell you things that we're not using. It's just not telling you exactly what we're doing to make sure that your vegetables are, you know, the vegetables that we're pulling off the ground are, are really just loaded with vitamins, you know, cause you could go organically and just say, I'm not doing X, Y, and Z but it's not really telling you what I am doing. And there's not a lot of enforcement on that level either in terms of like, are you cover cropping your ground? You know, some of the things that you really need to, to do in order to have a successful farm that, you know, soil, soil that, is, that is charged and will produce huge heads of lettuce or cabbage or broccoli, just give you, you know, delicious tomatoes. That soil needs to be protected in so many different ways. And as an organic farmer, we're just really limited in terms of the firepower we can use to get in that dirt, to get everything rolling, and then have these cabbages be just big and beautiful and actually keep, you know. Um, because when you're short in whatever minerals or whatever it is, or if the soil just isn't really that taken care of, you don't get a lot of cover crops on there, um, you pay the price. There's no question. And if you look out the window here, you know, those are... These fields are um, covered in grass that's dead. It's as you know, high as my waist. And those were oats and peas. Um, the, the, it, these, these cover crops have winter killed. That amount of organic matter, like if I went out there right now with a shovel, um, now that that grass is dead, the roots are starting to rot, I mean, we would probably see so many earthworms. It's insane. But what those things are doing in there right now is just work that we can't mimic. They are doing 
work that we absolutely need in order to do this work and to produce like the most nutritious crops that we possibly can. But we just need to do that a lot more, as much as we possibly can. And you have to produce food, right? We want to have food late in the season. And that's the time when your, your window is shrinking us, like when you can get grass seed out and have it grow. And so what we've realized this past year, at least it's, it's a decision I sort of made sort of by myself, was that we're just not going to grow so late. Eros and I decided we're going to build another hoop house, grow late in there, and then not grow so late out in the field. Even though I'm, we're looking at a good amount of money that we're not going to make, okay? Um, it's, I think it's more valuable to have that ground covered and protected for the next season because whatever we harvest off that ground next year is going to have less disease, less insect pressure, going to be more nutritious, you know. And with the few field crops that we do still grow later into the season, they are all undersown with something that will hold the ground in the winter. So it's not just the main, like say broccoli, it's all undersown. Uh, and that's just Explain making what sure. Undersown means. Sorry. So you would have a broccoli plant and say a bed. And all throughout, underneath the broccoli would be, say, rye or oats. You would have a, a mini, like a grass seed of some sort that's holding the soil in place to, to keep any erosion and also to feed the plant, feed the soil during the winter or hold the ground. so that After the broccoli is harvested. After the broccoli is yeah. harvested or it would come to, come to life in spring. It's a, a plant that will be holding the ground still in winter keeping it from erosion and then it could grow in spring and come the keeping the the soil active it's not ever abandoned by life so there's always something there that's going to be there and sometimes it could be as simple as you know you're going out and you're cultivating um something you know it could be anything carrots or whatever and you're you know that you're going to be harvesting in let's say three weeks well three weeks is a lot of time to just have soil exposed. And the more that we do this, the more we think like, okay, so we're gonna go through, we're gonna harvest that, those carrots. And it would be smart if maybe right now, considering I have three weeks, I'm just gonna throw down some sort of a grass seed. And I'll, we'll go through, we'll harvest all those carrots. And by the time we're done with them, that grass seed's starting to grow nicely. Gotcha. And so I just gained 21 days, or let's say two weeks, of growth on there and uh, those days really matter, especially in the fall as your days get shorter and you wanna cover crop ground. I mean, all of us farmers know, you go out there, you're thinking, okay, I'm finally done harvesting all these things. Now I'm gonna throw it on the grass and you look at that grass and you're thinking, what in the heck are you doing? You're not growing and it's been two weeks. You're just starting to put up little spurs and then it gets cold as heck and that's it. You know, either it, it may live but it's not gonna be enough to hold dirt if there's a lot of water that comes down. And our winters now, are so, the ground is soft, softer than soft. And when it rains, it takes a little bit of dirt each time. And as you know, working Pennsylvania hills, sides and whatever, you, know, you don't have a whole lot of opportunities to leave things uncovered before you've lost a lot of dirt. Many, many, many inches of dirt, we've seen it. Um, wow. Yeah. And even a, a very, you know, a grade that might be a couple inches. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't have, seem like it much. It doesn't seem like yeah. much. Oh, it's hardly a hill. And you're like, oh my gosh, look at the bottom of the bed. Look at all the soil <laughs> that we lost from the middle of the bed. Or it's, mm. It can be extreme. And yeah. you, you don't want it to go away. We only have so much. We don't want to see it go yeah. downstream. <laughs> 
it's not no, it's then talking about the warm, warmer winters. We in this area are supposed to have 10 days below 10 degrees in a row, and we haven't had that hmm. in wow. 10 years, maybe nine. I don't know. Oh, wow. I don't know if you guys have been tracking I've not that. seen that right. statistic, but yeah, wow. Yeah. That's, that's right. That's, that's, that's what I remember. Yeah. And that's, that's to yeah, like actually kill the bugs and kill the bacteria and kill the stuff. That's what farmers have depended on in the past, and we can't depend on that anymore. Yeah. Um, is there anything you guys are doing different? Are there are there crops because of climate change that you're like we might be able to grow that now? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Well, our I mean we grew sweet potatoes you know years ago. We had a good year. It was a, a hot summer, and then the three years following, we had a crop failure every year because it was just a little cool. It was a cooler summer. Um, we're mm-hmm. growing them again now, and we're just having. I mean, blockbuster yields, it's insane. But yeah, absolutely, I think about that stuff all the time. You know, whether or not I want to try to do like some of the more summery things, like southern crops, like okra. I mean, I'm going to try it this year, you know, although I've been advised not to because it's just not a fun thing to harvest. I'm going to give it a shot. Um, Oh, wait a minute, people here do grow okra. Why is that such a thing that farmers won't get into? Well, it's not a big hit. It's not a very common Oh, for marketing for, it for our clientele, yeah, gotcha. like we don't it's have. Culturally. It, it's some folks ask for it, but even it's not a huge hit. It's not like a. It's not a potato, you know. It's like it's definitely not a, a staple product. Yeah, and is it, it a particularly yeah. long growing season too? No, growing no. Okay. I mean, it's it's like a tomato, maybe a little less. The 78, 80 days. Yeah. You, you know us at market. We like to have a lot of options at market Mm -hmm. and we really like that you guys get a double stand double space at least maybe we have four spots four spots spots. yeah (laughs) we have four spots (laughs) we're maxed out well they won't let us have any more spots we're getting creative with our display (laughs) throw tables out front Uh, i do like the way you have that like there's a little um island yeah Mm -hmm. yeah we need the island it's Mm -hmm. necessary yeah and then the bagging station. You guys are quite brilliant about the way you manage your market space. Thanks. Yeah, that was... I mean, that's all from panic mode in the moment, <laughs> being at market, seeing how things are just failing miserably, and also shifting from doing a typical farmer's market stand where you're standing behind the table with money on you and you're exchanging that with the customer at the, at the moment of, of purchase uh, versus people now we have it set up where they come, they grab a shopping basket, they go through the whole entire stand, and then we have uh, some registers on the end, and then they are able to get checked out. They take their food. They don't occupy too much space in front of the reg. They take that to the bagging table. And it's not taking up your time right. as you walk them through all the stuff they're buying to Correct. Sale. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's it was, great. It was too many items people were buying at a time to do the math and not – and then have a customer like to be interrupted by simple question. Do you have this? Oh gosh, what number was I at? You know, cause you're, Oh, that was 20, 25, 50. Right. And they're like, I think, and you're like, Oh yes, we do have broccoli. It's over there. You know, just, it was too much. We had too much diversity and the bills were getting too high that it was like, it was just confusing to do the math. And then we needed to be using scales at the same time. So it was just the, the stand was too big to like, be on one end and run over to the scale and then run back to the person. Oh, you need another bag, run back to the stand. You know, it's just, it was getting to be too much. And then the lines were getting long. But it is true that our exchanges though with our customers are much more substantial, not so distracted. 
now yeah. because you know I will for instance just be stalking and engaging mm-hmm. and it gives us an opportunity to educate you know so much more um, and for us to learn about what people want really be able to pay attention it's not just it's still a blur the markets are always just a blur but it does give us a little more opportunity to focus and sort of pay attention to what's going on <clears throat> your method has really um, inspired other vendors that market to do the same thing i noticed yeah mm. yeah the the, the 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 baskets were quick to to people caught on quick with that that was great yeah and it's it's funny and people you know just shoppers it's so convenient for them because many folks come with not enough arms to carry you know and we're all used to going grocery shopping with a basket you know that's what you do mm-hmm. and you just don't have to think about where are you going to put this in your arms when you want another thing and your hands are full. No, you pop yeah. it in the basket and, or I need another basket. <laughs> so one of the things that people talk about a lot that I've had other people on my podcast talk about is how you know farming isn't super profitable. There's the, the veterans to farmers sort of pathway that the state is working on and there are a lot of programs that are trying to teach people how to farm and Besides the fact that farmers are not respected, which is something that I'm trying to build more respect for farmers, I really think we need to respect the people that grow our food. And I think that's, you know, part of PASA and part of that whole culture anyway. Would you recommend farming for people as a career choice? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. You have to want to work. (laughs) Hands down, it has to be someone who's passionate about the labor and hours that go into running your own business. First off, anyone who owns a business knows that that's, there's overtime, you know? Farming is a gamble. Yeah, it is a gamble when it comes to working with mother nature. That is, is, you know, that's, that's hard to get used to. It's just knowing that a huge investment that you have out in the field right there, you could totally lose it, totally lose it. And that's, that's where, you know, I always reflect on the, the humble farmer, you know, everybody says, oh, the humble farmer. No, the humble farmer just, he's humbled out because he's just eating shit. So many times he's had good success, but he's also very accustomed to loss. Every single year we lose things. Every single year, no matter what we try. And that's part of this work. That's why it's really hard for some people and people get really upset about that stuff. And we all did. And I still do, but I just know that we're going to roll right into the next crop, you know, and you just kind of take it. Well, that's why diversity is really, really important. And that's why being a market farmer is really great, like a diverse farmer, because there's always going to be something, you know, and that's not everything. I mean, even with some, you know, I have friends that are grape farmers, they at least diversify their grapes. You're not going to grow one kind of grape, Mm. you know, because then disease or whatever it is, there's always, you want to do diversity like that is how nature insurance is, is strongest yeah it, it is a great insurance that's our best insurance policy that we have but it it's definitely a uh, lifestyle but it is a career that has great opportunity so many things that we don't grow that like for fruit we don't have much organic fruit even though we're tr- attempting to expand that over time there's possibilities for more and more people to eat local. There are farms that are not working anymore. There's food that could come to the city and be more local. We could have more, so much more local food being purchased by other grocery stores, or there could be more markets in the city. There's so many people that don't 
eat locally. There's a big elephant in the room though, I think, which is that you can grow food. You can, you can say, okay, I'm willing to not have a fixed schedule. I will work early until late. I will work in the rain. I will work in the sun, whatever it is, the cold. I'm willing to do all those things. I can grow really good crops. And now where do I sell it? And I think that that's the biggie. And I think that's a lot of the reason why we see a steady decline. You know, I think that if the money was there at the outset, you know, it kind of ties into like the respect thing a little bit, but if you were able to generate really nice income, how many of those kids would have left that farm and then gone and worked somewhere else and make, you know, pennies working for somebody else. They, they could have been working with their pop or, you know, I will say two things. First thing is I think farming can be extremely lucrative. The other thing I think that, you know, in terms of our customers, we are, we feel very, very well respected. It, this is a job that I, I have, I cannot even imagine somebody else having a job where you are thanked so much for what you do. We get that so much. And I, I'm not just saying it's because like we're special as, you know, as like we're like different from most other farmers. I'm sure everybody else gets the same gratitude, but it is overwhelming. And I think the more that people get educated about food and the differences in, in value, where you're buying your food from, and just how empowering it is to like know people that grow food, that are growing your food, to be able to talk to them, to educate yourself about what they're doing so you actually know what you're getting is, is really nice and people love that. Um, but you know, I really do think that you can make a huge amount of money farming. It's just that farming as a business starts from zero. You don't have, you walk, like you can walk into a market and start kicking some butt and that's really great. You know, for a lot of us that started, say for instance, a Squirrel Hill Farmer's Market, when that first started, you know, we had other farmers that dropped out right away. We're like, oh, there's, this isn't happening. And we stuck it out and it started to get really good. And then some folks wanted to come back in then when it started to roll. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not <laughs> the way it goes. Yeah. But, um, you know, because now a farmer, now that those markets are supercharged in ways, a farmer, a new farmer could roll into a market that is already exploding. There's still going to be a little bit of like an earning curve. People don't know you. They don't necessarily trust you right off the bat, but, you know, let your personality shine and roll right into that. And, but what an opportunity now. But that's, that is what I think is this, the, the elephant in the room is just not having the place to sell your perfect products. Yep. You know, it's like having that market and selling wholesale to, to, to Giant Eagle. Check out their business model. They're not going to give you squat. You know, and if we were doing anything but direct sales for us... Like we're doing direct sales through market and then CSA. So we're able to charge a premium price for that product. But if we were um, doing wholesale, you know, you are going to have to do a number of different things. You're going to need much more ground. You're going to need much more mechanization. There's a lot more investment there, huge amount. And it's also really scary to have a lot of eggs in one basket. So we feel fortunate where we have come. You know, um, we feel safe with CSA. We feel safe with market. You know, it's people that we're trying, we're, we're all getting to know each other. We feel like we're cooperating well and um, we only see it getting better. But I think it's a great time and a good opportunity for new farmers to come into the market right now because there's a lot of people that want to buy good food, a lot. Yeah, I feel like since 2020, it's been really beautiful to see the reinvigoration of people cooking food for themselves. It's really nice to 
have a customer ask questions how what's this how can i do that and just see and see new regulars coming and like all because of covid you know people were forced into their home to do something they hadn't really thought okay yeah i cook my dinner every once in a while but really like wow okay food is necessary this is the one thing i have to go out and get toilet paper food maybe some medicine you know so it's like what are the essentials here and with that resurgence of of customers, our, our farmers markets really came alive. It, it brought a, a new life to farmers markets after 2020. And in the sense of that realm, and yet it's not like every neighborhood could have a farmers market. We've been asked to go to more markets. Farmers can only go to so many markets. So yeah, more farmers to make more markets. You know, that would that would make sense to me. Like we can only do so many because our truck is moving six days a week. I think we need that one day off. and. If more people want more markets, then we need more farmers. So yeah, we need more farmers. I think that there's definitely the call out there. A lot more food buyers though too. You know, but there are, would, yeah, they're people they're... gotta come out, they have to show up and mm-hmm. buy. And that has happened a lot these past couple of years um, with new management um, at the city parks. They have done an excellent job at bringing people out, I think. I mean, I haven't really necessarily seen what it is, but the amount of new people the last two years has been very noticeable. When we're just so scrambled, you think everybody just knows what to do. And somebody says, hey, where do I pay? And just because the way that it's set up now, it's a little weird. And you're like, wow, this is, this is incredible. I mean, so many people, particularly in fall, particularly, I think, associated with the checks that folks are getting, you know, those have been really good. But those are good to get the wheels going. You know, somebody comes out to the farmer's market because they have that little bit of impetus. They get a taste for like the exchange, chatting a little bit, seeing what everybody's doing. You know, get some free sweet potatoes and whatever, try something new, and then they sometimes keep coming back. And that, that perception of farmers markets are expensive is just blown out of the water when they're actually there to see it on their own. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, the, when talking about price a little bit, I always do like to think about the idea of you're hungry and you go to, you're at, say, the gas station. Like they're now having more and more, like they'll put an apple there. Like, oh yeah, we should have some natural things for people to buy. You know, that makes sense. That's like within the last, what, maybe five or 10 years that's happening. But when you go to those places, it feels to me, that's like a food desert too. You, you're going and you're buying something with too many ingredients in it. It's not healthy. So when I think about, you know, people are like, oh, it's so expensive for a, a thing of, a, you know, a bunch of chard or a pepper. A candy bar is a dollar, $2. My peppers might be that much, but what is the nutritional value there? What are you getting out of that? Is that thing making you sick or is that thing nourishing you? So I think that it's all in perspective. You know, it, it food does cost money for sure. And, and in America, food is relatively cheap. So I th- I'm, I'm excited to do more, you know, more research of, around and, and see what other markets around the world, you know, how much does it cost for certain things like that? But, you know... I think the state of American nutrition and the idea of what we eat needs to be addressed at a younger age and you know how are how are kids being taught that you know how are we making people aware of their bodies and what goes in is really important you know it 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 means a lot to your state of life cuz getting sick sucks and if that means what you're putting in your body is going to make you not sick or sick we need to make the right choice because life is so much, It's life is hard as it is, 
But if you can make these simple choices that make life a little easier, that's the value. Like we have to change our ways so that we can, you know, just be healthier and live healthier on the planet. Like an organic farm. Okay. Do we want a conventional organic? Are you going to pay a little bit less, but then not like then have to deal with the residues and, and also think about like the residue that's on that farm and going down the stream. So it, it's all an impact. And you know, what's the value? It's, it's just a different value. What are you valuing? Are you valuing your candy bar because it's one minute of deliciousness? Or are you valuing the pepper because it's one minute of deliciousness and yet it's nourishing? Are you val- valuing saving of 50 cents? Or are you, value- are you valuing your, your health, your overall health? You know, saving, buy the cheaper head of cabbage that's 50 cents less. It's usually what it is, something 50 cents less. But then, like Arrow said, you know, there's residues, there's whatever it is, but there's a lot more to that equation. It's not just the residues. It's that ground. That ground, from our perspective, conventionally managed ground is never going to be able to compete with in terms of what that biology is able to do for a plant, okay, um, as an organic farm. There's just, nobody can debate that because if you are putting poison on your ground to kill something, then you are going to, it, it's, you know, it's going to be about, it's going to be broad target, you know, it's unintended it's, consequences. Yeah. yeah. You're going to kill mm-hmm. a lot of the things that you're going to want later on. Now people can say, ah, it'll reestablish, which is true. It's incredible. It can be incredibly resilient as long as you keep growing on it. Um, but in other ways, you know, depending, I mean, you are spraying every single year, every single year, every single year, all those things, you know, accumulate, they bioaccumulate. And then it's just, you know, Versus, I guess the way that instead of focusing on the negative, I'd rather focus on the positive and just say, you know, it feels really good to think that we're building soil. You know, we're built, we're making it better every year. And this past year, we worked with a soil consultant, which, you know, I don't know a lot of other farmers that have done that. And I had one farmer suggest that I work with this guy. And there's not a whole, I mean, there's a good amount of magic to it, I suppose, you know, trace minerals and looking at um, tissue samples of tomatoes at certain times of the year to see what that plant actually has coursing through its veins. Whoa. So cool. I mean, it's, it's, it's very empowering. But so that individual had gave us our most productive year by far where it was an issue. We had so many vegetables (laughs) that we were in trouble that we, we could not get rid of a particular crop. Well, well, we had so many we had, peppers. Yeah, peppers. <laughs> yeah, okay. we, had, a lot we, had, of we had sixty bins, of forty inch by forty eight inch bins of onions. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do with that? The value doesn't change. It's like we put the money in. I mean, the soil uh, consultant is not cheap. Yes, <laughs> oh, I, then, bet. I bet. You know, true. and then Very you're true. also thinking about you're putting in. You're putting on the exact what that plant needs. You're doing a lot more research. So it's like, oh, you know, it's like taking, for example, Chris and I are sort of treating our bodies like we treat our soil now. We're taking blood tests and we're looking at what's, what's going on inside. We're just doing the, we're, it's a very beautiful sort of holistic view now. Like, is oh. this going to be an installation page today? <laughs> well, it is. Yeah. We're the, li- oh, is we're the living documentation of I, understanding I it more thing. in depth. Yeah what we are, what's going on inside, what's going on in our soil, what's going on in the plant. Okay, what are we ingesting? What are we not getting? Because our soil lacks, hands down, we know that we're lacking magnesium. Are our bodies lacking magnesium? Definitely. So we supplement, you know, like we supplement our soil, we're supplementing our bodies. So, but these are things that, you know, 
we are really excited about. This is very cutting edge for us and new, and we're really just on the cusp of really investigating and mm -hmm. learning more. And that's where you know the the idea of treating the um, the crop in a the soil versus the crop mm -hmm. and. I mean, I'm excited for our customers to learn about their bodies and be able to access food that is at the 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 best and, and that it can be because we're trying to do that. You know, it's just like yeah. So we, excited by that. What what seems what seems really important is is to grow you know the best food you can, the most nutritious, and then you know and then you know you you, you just assume well I'm going to eat that food and then I'm going to I'm going to be better for that. And so, but we, Eros and I have gone from maybe really focusing on yields and having that be the indicator to success to now being more interested in, uh, in like sort of like tissue analyses to see that that plant is really content. And um, I mean, the amount what you can learn from that is so huge. What an opportunity. Because you can see, you know, at a certain point, there's certain, like, you know, an onion goes from its growth stage to its bulbing stage. And you would be able to see the transition of what is pulling from the dirt at that time. You know, it's because it's going to go from, like, nitrogen, whatever, to, like, potassium, phosphorus. And to be able to see that, I mean, we're never going to be able to afford all those tests, like, to the extent that we would like to. But to watch certain key crops, um, such a great opportunity. But then, you know, this is exactly really how we should be looking at ourselves too. You know, like the decisions in terms of what we eat should be driven by data. And none of us, as far as I know, are really going and like getting regular blood tests and like yeah. seeing what's going mm -hmm. on. We just assume that what we're, if we're putting in something good, then that has to be doing good. And it probably is. But what it doesn't tell us is what we're lacking. So we can go out here in the field in the same way. Let's just say I just go out there and I say, hey. I'm gonna put compost down a lot. And I should probably lime it. Sounds like a good idea. Okay, I'll do that. And then during the season, I'll plant my plants, we'll fertilize, plant my plants, and then I'm going to put down drip tape and I'm going to water them every week. And then every now and again, I'll give them a little bit of fish emulsion or something like that, just to give them a little, a little sweetness. And um, there's a lot of assumption there. Now, if you're trying to make money on that, that is absolutely not the way to do it. If you're trying to make money on that and make a living, you absolutely need to be driven by data, by information like that. Because that, you're not dilly-dallying. You're not running in potentially the wrong direction and investing a lot of time and energy um, and money. You know? So for us, it seems like it, it's just, for us, it's a very empowering moment in our sort of evolution as farmers to really have a lot of confidence in what we're doing, knowing that we are going to be capable given that we have information. You know, we have information. So it's not, it kind of almost in a way takes the magic out of it. There's still a lot of magic going on there. You don't know what the heck's going on there when you're applying these things, but you know that, hey, we're low in this, this uh, mineral here or, or whatever it is, macronutrient. Let's get a little more of that on and you can watch that plant slowly start to take that up and send in those tests and get those analyses. It's cool. Very cool. It takes a lot of time. For me, I have a crew that can go out there and kick some butt and they don't necessarily need me all the time. So I have the opportunity to do more of the scouting, more of the research. Because in, 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 in the season, 
I mean, there's not a minute to do anything. So the fact that I can actually do that rather than, let's say, harvesting all the time or, or be planting or tilling or whatever um, is a huge privilege. But this directly turns into money. It 100% turns into money because the flavor's better in the vegetable. They store better. They look better. They produce way better. So that time is and that time invested they're is better good for idea. you, they which are, is that's something that hasn't been <clears throat> there was at least when I was in grad school back in 2010 to 2012. There wasn't a lot of research on is organic actually more nutritious, or I guess regenerative. Like organic isn't even necessarily because they might not care for the soil the way you guys do. So regenerative farming and food grown at that level is more nutritious, and it's also flavor and flavor equals nutrients that's that's really great i hope you have somebody who's gonna be able to publish some of this data because that's be cool yeah Yeah. (laughs) we'll probably write about it in our newsletter um we do write our customers every week about you know during the main season what's going on and we 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 are you know it's just it's a it's been a learning experience for us and people enjoy it um it's definitely just like as we learn we share and we yeah. try and do more and more about our thoughts on this ground experiment, experiment and experience that we're doing. You know, it's it's a lifetime of learning. And there's every year's new, each season presents new, you know, uh, trials and tribulations and, and goals and lessons. And it, there's, a, there's so much that can be learned in the environment of a farm, you know, just from just it's it, it, it's numerous it's you know just from there's so much it's learning it can be painful yeah <laughs> but we tend to do it with a, you know smiles and tears and and we have an amazing crew that's supportive and a community that's really supportive our neighbors that are here are always you know just walk by and you just hey i'm having this and you just have a conversation about it sometimes just talking out loud to some fresh ears it's like oh yeah someone who's like in the same locale and hey we're having an amazing onion crop so am i you know it's just like oh yeah what's going on and who knows what was it this year maybe we'll figure it out (laughs) what would be most helpful to you guys for your business i mean for us what i would what I would like to see is more of a uh, an organized, like collective push for um, a lot of the guys who are just trying to start out. Um, some of those smaller farms, um, you know, land access is hard, but to have just an army of people that want to buy your stuff is kind of hard too. You know, it takes a lot of curating and encouraging, um, having a market in the right spot. But there's there are so many, you know just brilliant people out there that that could that could probably in a, if it was organized um be able to contribute in such huge ways you know helping to get people to come out to market and just having more of a culture that's sort of centered around you know eating seasonal food um because that could be really fun you know like the markets are, are fun and we're slammed so we, we we have whatever fun that we we, we can but you know, I always think about what you hear in Italy or wherever, and they have like festivals, Escarole or Radicchio. And you're like, what? <laughs> and they have, but it's like, well, why don't we start our our own festivals and you know something other than sweet corn? I mean, sweet, sweet corn so is we, cool. So yeah, we might have a festival this but, coming year. But right? like, isn't why isn't there like a tomato party? 
the first markets of tomatoes, like why isn't there just a bash? <laughs> I mean, but it's just stuff that people are really excited about. And I'm not saying there's a lack of enthusiasm. I just think it could be, you know, maybe encouraged in certain directions with some folks that have some really good ideas. Um, well, did, did you guys attend the, the Pittsburgh County Fair? We did not. We were a working market. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that's a very big limitation for us is that we work Saturday and Sunday. We, um, we are the drivers ever. of our trucks. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think in these years to come, the goal is for us to have more time to have more on-farm events so that people can see the farm. I think that uh, we I, we know that it's a thing that people go out to other people's farms and pick this and do that. And it's very meaningful when we have our customers out here. It's really invigorating for us and them. And it's wonderful. And that is a goal that we're trying to get to, us not being the sole drivers for the markets. We do have a CSA driver now. It's amazing that we're not taking on that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just like, you know, just as we've started, this is how we roll like one step at a time. And in due time that we'll have more, more on-farm events, maybe more educational, but also just get people out into the country to enjoy the countryside, see and, and experience the beauty of an organic farm. I mean, I think if, celebrate, you know, and celebrate it, we've done, we have a little bit in the spring, a business of just um, selling potted plants. And it's been really nice to hear from our customers. It was so fun to grow this with my family, you know, and they have a really nice time. They get to harvest something, you know, that is like, if we can get that bug into people, you know, it only takes like for, I think about even myself, like becoming a farmer, like the experience that I had on organic farm, I was very inspired over and over and different farms going to. And I'm just like, this is a life I want to live. It was so nurturing to me. And, you know, just even having, a family to have a pot outside and then maybe a little plot and then, Oh, we're going to expand the garden and hearing people cut, hearing customers say that like, Oh, I'm getting rid of some of my hedges and we're going to put a garden out front. It's so exciting, you know, to be able to, to, to get that bug in someone. So I don't think like, you know, for our, like it's the status of farmers for me, I think, you know, it's sort of like, you know, we're 1%. It's not a, it's not a, big you're the other percent you're the other one percent exactly (laughs) so it's you know we're 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 sort of alone but it's also because of big ag you know it it wasn't like this a lot of people grew their own food you know Uh back in the day so if we look at our present time if we're having so many city dwellers and we're having you know fewer and fewer country dwellers it's nice to at least, at least have that experience for people i think to grow things yeah. and to grow more and more so we encourage that you know with our plant sales people want to dig in a little more and kind of like understand like what's going on on that farm there's just a lot that goes on at, at certain times there's a lot of, of nurturing of soil and then there's a lot of ground preparation and then there's harvest and that's kind of the way it is right that's sort of like the wave Um, yeah i think there's value in people seeing all that stuff because i know that when i was starting out i loved seeing farms in action i loved just seeing all the steps because you're kind of like just hard to wrap your head around like what you're doing why you're doing it when and and all the reasons behind all those decisions you know i think that's also part of uh like the it should be part of the farmer training Hmm. is i mean you guys aren't like taking elaborate vacations and you're not swimming in jewels and you don't have big fancy cars. So I think, you know, expectations should be limited a little bit when you're like, it's very lucrative. 
right? Oh yeah. So so that should be part of like you and you have to want to live the lifestyle. And so there are a lot of things that instead of like, look, isn't this cool? It's not a nine to five. So. I think all yeah. that needs to be incorporated into that. Well, yeah, but, no, when, but when Chris is saying it's lucrative, we're at our we're into our fifteen year. It, it does take a lot of time to get to the lucrative point. Like this last year, we were able to really like, wow, let's make our house safer and and better for us. You know, like renovate it, redo the electric, and like make a kitchen that is really us you know like knock out a wall put some windows in and now we have a huge counter to do what we do and cook what we cook and have you know like a home for our family that's beautiful and not just run down and you know and because it's like we bought a hundred year old farmhouse that yeah did and that's what anyone would come to if they're starting a new farm I mean you're gonna get a place that's old and not a lot of money put into it or if they did it was 30 years ago you know so Everyone, I feel like it's all in time, but I mean, it is like, we're not driving Mercedes, but I know farmers that drive Mercedes, you know, there are, it can happen, you know, in years and years that you end up, you know, with a, a nest and that's what you've worked for. You know, you work to make a awesome nest, you know, and I think that that is where the, the liquidity comes with a lot of time and investment. I mean, when we retire, I mean, who knows if we're going to, if hopefully our children will want to farm. We're not sure if they will. I mean, if they do, they have an amazing nest to start with. Like they, we have built so much. We're trying to convince them that like, wow, you have a really great job here. Like, like I'd like to work for, I only wish that my, my parents had a farm that I could just hop right on. Oh my gosh. And yeah. But you know, yeah, yeah, but yeah, and I also I I do mean that farming can be very lucrative. Um, you, you know, it just you have to be very thoughtful, but it doesn't start right at the outset. Um, but yeah, yeah, we bought our like first new car last year. It was amazing. You yeah. know, so we like, got to give it at least ten years before you're feeling. It, it depends, so. you know, like so markets are a lot different right now. Gotcha. A lot different. You know, there's a lot of money going to market. A lot. Hmm. Um, you know, like people are selling out. Holy, like, when did that start? You know, I mean, just think about, you know, even just 10 years ago, Joe Kinos and Joe King and all these guys, like, were they selling out of all their stuff? Like, not really. And things were a lot cheaper. So now things are more expensive, but I mean, there's inflation. We certainly spend a lot more for our supplies and stuff, but, um, but we're making a lot more market. And, so you're but feeling the love, you're feeling the are. respect, you're feeling all those oh, things. Sure. Okay, so absolutely. Respect is definitely never, um, I've never felt disrespected as a farmer, ever. As a, I mean, yeah, maybe from like the highfalutin lawyer or whatever, like I'm in the city. I just, even myself, I feel very out of sorts, you know, because you're, I'm a country bumpkin, you know, that's just who I am. You go to the city, I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone just looks so clean and pretty. And, you know, like I don't, I don't do my, I don't even, I don't wear makeup. I don't, I mean, I don't have time for that. You know, I don't shave. I don't have time for that. There's just simple, like as a woman in my culture, I look, you know, well, very simple. <laughs> as I should say, maybe that's like the nicest way to put it, you know, but I think I'm not disrespecting anyone else, anyone's choice of style or class, like where they sit themselves. And I don't think to look at myself and feel, you know, respected or disrespected or equal. Like I feel 
equal as a human, but like the job, everybody's job's important. You know, I think that we all make this earth, you know, how we're working together here, like peace is the most important thing and then eating, you know, but I think like coming to the farmer's market, that's why, I mean, Chris, why are we beating ourselves every Saturday and Sunday? Why do we do this? You know, because it's, it's hard because it's so intense. It is definitely an exhausting like show, you know, <laughs> and it's, um, because we get to talk to people, you know, we get to have a relationship with people other than our customers and our family, because that's all we see is our customers <laughs> and our family and our, and our, um, employees. And it's a great life we have on the farm, but it's very simple, you know, mm -hmm. but when we, we just have exciting conversations and it's in, it's wonderful to expand our horizons with all walks of life. At yeah. The, the, gra the gratitude is, is, is mutual, you know, it goes both ways for sure. Definitely. I mean, we, the, the newsletters, you know, we, we share a lot, but it's only going one way, right. you know, but the discussion, um, the sharing of you know, like current events, you know, whether it's on farm or off farm, definitely, because otherwise we probably seem pretty, not shallow, but we're just really preoccupied. You know, we'd love to be able to get together with neighbors and chat and stuff and they're getting together for a simple meet greeter. Like you can't even just come over for a couple hours and it's literally like, no, we actually can't. It's not a choice, really. Oh, it's a choice. Absolutely a choice. <laughs> but we're just, we, have a, we have a big commitment, and we've ex we accept that commitment and the challenge. And, you know, like somebody said to me not so long ago, at what point did you start to think um, that you were going to quit? And we both said never. Never. I never, ever, ever thought one time that I was going to quit. That I was ever going to give up. Never once. I never thought that that was an option because kind of like what I said at the very beginning, my option was either I was going to grow good food or teach people about nature. But once I started growing good food, I was addicted. I was locked in. Even though it's challenging, it's hard. Sometimes it's too much. It's always too much, honestly. Um, you know, it cuts down on family time. It cuts down all your socializing, all the things that we think make life, you know, worthwhile. But actually like growing food and kind of doing that and just your, your camaraderie is like in the field, like that sort of, that sense of bonding there and, and, and teamwork is really, really satisfying. Us all working together to try to sort of try to make this thing work is so fulfilling because it's always evolving. There's, there's something new and better you can do all the time and it's exciting. I mean, that will probably start fading. And we do, we do. As of right now, it's still really invigorating. You yeah, know? and we do, we do really have like a wonderful social network on the farm. Like we, we do cultivate employees that we enjoy working with that are positive. You know, we really do have a great crew, and that is, it makes it easy. It's it really, it is family-ish. Yeah, it's family-ish. You know, it's it's really a rewarding experience in that way. What are you guys excited about for this coming year? Just what I was telling you about following the biology, following the energy from the ground to the plant, to the fruit, to the person, you know, like being able to see that clear is so interesting to me. It just feels so rewarding. And I just, I'm excited to share as much of that information as I possibly can, you know, just to let people know like kind of what's happening. You know, it gets pretty dorky, but it's, if you think about at the end of it all, that you're better for it. It's like, why wouldn't you want to know more about that? You're doing these things every day. You're taking that tomato, you're taking a bite, you're eating the onions, you're doing the lettuce, all these things. And 
to be able to know a little, a little more about that information, I feel like it's really good. And for us, I feel like it's good for our image. You know, I'd like to be able to share information with folks. I want to get people pumped about our food. Yeah, we're definitely really dorking like out on the biology right now. We're, it, we're oh, really great. geeking out on it. And it's exciting to both of us. And we were talking the other day, like, wow, it'd be really a bummer if you weren't into this as well. You know, because we were both, like, yeah. being fed off of it. And then, hey, did you see this? And did you, hey, read this? And, you know, so it's really exciting to do that, to do the actual, be part of the experiment. And we're, we're working on our signage to be better at market, you know, just to be in our, our website to be, to be more educational. It really feels valuable that to see that we're learning and as we're learning, we hope to educate, you know, basically that that's the goal to educate more and more our customers on, you know, what it is, the food is how to put it in your refrigerator. Like some people don't even know, put it in a bag. Okay. This vegetable goes in a bag. This one goes on the counter because it's simple stuff that can make the great food last longer so that you have time to eat it. So it's just the simple stuff, but it also, yeah. Okay. What's a probiotic? What vegetable is a probiotic? What, you know, so all these things that we can learn and hopefully pass on so that we can all be healthier. Like that's just, and we might have a fair. Exciting. Yeah, we might, <laughs> and we might have a fair. Have a little festival. Like a fall a fair little... like everybody's doing with pumpkins and food trucks and some music and some cool things for kids. But like those, those sorts of connections, we, I feel like we do a good job on veggies. We do a good job on representation in the city. I feel like those things have been working out for us. But where we're sorely lacking is making that final connection to the farm. And to like kind of feel that vibe because when we had some folks come out in the fall and they were just, all we did was drive, really, we, we hung out, we spoke a little bit, but they just, they honestly just wanted us to shut up and drive around while they were sitting on a wagon. You know, I was pointing around on, on, a, on a wagon, hay wagon, and um, they just wanted to see the freaking fields. But they didn't want you to shut up. They were excited. We're like, Chris, turn off the tractor. I didn't hear what you said back there. Or Eros, what did you say? What were you telling them? But it is or, so it was different you know, to do this versus the life that folks live when they're just like, they wake up, they go to work. Like we all do that same sort of rhythm. But like that lifestyle versus our lifestyle, it's just so different. So I get it. And who doesn't I love a tour? I mean, yeah. I remember the tours of like that I had of like even in town, the little uh, peanut butter factory. You know, it's cool to see how something was made or see how, how does this yeah. work? Oh, wow. And that's just cool. You yeah. know, so I think yeah. if we can just get the nitty gritty of getting people out here, getting organized to set a calendar and we can stick to it, that's been difficult for us. So just really... You know, yeah, we're, we're working help. on order to be a little bit more organized to get more people out. It's far from Pittsburgh, so we need to give advance notice. We need to be better at publicizing that. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're going to dip your toe into some agritourism for 2024. That sounds I, exciting. I think that's a really, really good move on our end. The next step. Yeah. Well, Chris Eros, thank you so much you're for welcome. your time and for showing me your beautiful farm. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming out. With Bowl and Spoon is written, produced and hosted by Shelley Danko Day. Coffee editing by Carolyn Ristow of Details Reviewed. Original theme song was written and performed by Paul LeBreeze and Friends. You can listen to With Bowl and Spoon wherever you get your podcasts.
Don't forget to subscribe, like, review and share. Follow us and send us questions or messages on Facebook and Instagram at With Bowl and Spoon. Thanks for listening.